Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right back to the phone. And joining us from Brad Peterson Outdoors is Brad Peterson. Good morning. Good morning, Terry. You know, this has to be a, a, a conflicting time of the year for you because you both got you guide open water fishing, you love ice fishing, you guide for goose and duck, and goose season just opened, duck season is underway, I still believe. And so you've got waterfall going on and getting ready for ice fishing, and yet you still got open water fishing going on. This is, must be hard to decide what you're going to do when you get up in the morning. Yeah, it definitely can be. There's a there's a plethora of options out there right now. And for me, a lot of it comes down really to what the weather forecast looks like in making a decision which way I'm going to go. I, I can believe that. And and sometimes the best wa- the best weather or the most comfortable weather to be out there fishing is the least productive when you're hunting. Why don't we start with waterfall? What's going on right now in the waterfall seasons? Well, waterfowl season has had just a little bit of a slow start for our ducks. We've had that warm, dry weather. So we have, we've basically been shooting local birds until the last, you know, probably five days. We've had a real good push. With that snowstorm, the remaining mountain birds have kind of pushed down to the plains. We're starting to see some birds from up north show up. And then goose season just opened up on Monday, and the first few days were a little slow again just just those resident birds but i was out this morning and there has been a definite push of some northern geese in so i would say you know looking at the forecast the cold temperatures we're going to have in the next week we're going to keep seeing a a good push of waterfowl coming in so from now um you know through thanksgiving is going to be a prime time for duck hunting duck season up in the northeast closes november 27th but uh Goose season runs straight through into February, so there's going to be some great opportunities to catch some fresh birds um, for the next three, four weeks, and it's it's a time to get out there and and uh, do a little waterfowl hunting. Now, are you hunting quite a bit different habitat for geese and ducks? Are you hunting the geese on water too, or in the fields? And uh, what what is the water situation for the ducks right now? You know, right now, the water situation, some of the ponds are dry, the reservoirs are low, but the river still has water, river and associated sloughs. And we're getting to that point where, you know, driving around this morning after I was out and about, um, you're starting to see some ice on those smaller ponds. So those birds are going to start moving towards the river, which makes a, a great opportunity for the hunters because, CPW has a lot of public land from basically Fort Morgan out to the Nebraska line along the South Platte. And then for goose hunting, it is a little bit more targeting. Um, Unless you've got private water, I would be targeting fields that you can get access to or walk-in access fields. Um, Access to goose hunting locations, if you don't have private lands, can be a little bit tougher. So. If you don't have that opportunity, 
Then I'd be looking into the January time frame, and as the big lakes start to freeze, those geese will start moving to the river. And like I said with the duck hunting, CPW has a lot of great opportunities to get out on the river, and you can do kind of a combo where you get both ducks and geese on the river in one day and can make for really memorable opportunities. Well, you know, even though I think on a national basis, migratory ducks, they're predicted were down a little bit. Of course, that doesn't predict your hunting success because that's more on timing of when birds come through. But geese, I'm I'm hearing every indication that the numbers of geese are extremely good. Yeah, the goose numbers have been strong for several decades. Um, as you just see all year long, you know, back in the 70s, Colorado hardly had a resident goose population at all. And now you can hardly go to a park any time of the year and not see some geese walking around there or, or floating in the pond. So geese are are a lot more adaptive to where they can nest and, and raise their young. So those populations have been doing really good, whereas the ducks are much more water dependent. And we've been having some droughts up there, but one of the, you know, kind of the, the advantages to the dry situations we're having out here is there's not as much water in those reservoirs. There's not as many ponds. So even though we might have fewer birds, they may be more concentrated on those other locations. So the overall number might be down, you know, statewide, but in the areas you're able to hunt, those numbers may still be pretty decent. So you're going to get the opportunity for a really good hunt. I'm going to switch gears on you and do a couple things, Brad. I want to get maybe if I know you've been out of state and you're just, just getting back. I want to get maybe an open water, uh, if you've seen anything. And, and uh, by the way, Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us later, and I know he's been out on, on Horsetooth and Boyd, but I'll see if you – but then I want to talk getting ready for ice fishing. Have you seen anything going on, the open water fishing? You know, one of the spots we talk a lot about open water, with Ronnie covering those other two bodies of water, Boyd's one I would look at, but the state – as one of your earlier guests talked about, is starting to stock trout. And the St. Rain Ponds have been stocked already once this, this fall. And that's a great opportunity to get people out who just want to get in some action, you know, get kids out. The ponds are fairly small. Those fish are in a real confined area. And once they stock those with trout, boy, that bite can get really good. And from now until ice up, don't overlook some of the little ponds, and the first one I'd kind of look at is uh, St. Brain State Park there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Karen put the uh, the fishing report up on our Facebook page this morning, and there's a link to the stocking report, and they want you to go catch these fish. They'll tell you. You can go look back over the last few weeks, see when things were stocked, and they'll tell you as soon as they stock them. And these when this cooler weather, the trout from shore – from all the small lakes, even the places that you and I sometimes ice fish, like Lawn Hagler, Bodecker, Douglas, uh, even up in the mountains, some of those places, there should be just great fishing for those 10 to 12-inch trout and a number of ways to catch them. Yeah, and that's that's one of the good things is with the colder temperatures, those fish are going to be real active. So if you want to go cast out and just use bait on the bottom, you're going to be able to catch fish doing that. But if you want to fish artificials, whether that's a 
you know, a marabou jig or a fly or a spinner, those fish are going to be active and chasing that as well. So they're going to be receptive to whatever presentation style you want to throw. And they're really hungry right now. So it's a time to get out there and, and catch a bunch of fish, have a lot of fun. Um, and as you say, there's, they're all along the front range, some of these smaller ponds off the beaten path lakes. Uh, I'm sure, you know, lawn Hagler will be getting stocked here fairly soon with trout. And, well, and, and one thing we did, we did talk about uh, earlier, we discussed before in the week was you were wondering about some of those mountain locations for fishing and, and also for ice fishing. And I was able to talk with a buddy in the forest service and all the lakes in the forest service west of Fort Collins are all open access. There isn't any of them that are closed. Now, some of the roads may be closed, but the lakes are open. So you may have to hike a little ways in to get to those bodies of water, but they are open for fishing. You know, a couple of those lakes were closed for a year or two, so they didn't get a lot of pressure, and they've got a little bit bigger fish than normal up there. Yeah, I think that whole over Highway 14 in the um, Barnes Meadow, the Chambers, uh, Joe Wright, uh, North Michigan, there should be some really good opportunities up there. Yep, and and they haven't quite frozen yet, so you still have, I'd say, another week or two of open water fishing opportunities. And then a lot of those lakes, you start to see your first ice showing up, you know, either that weekend before or Thanksgiving weekend, somewhere right in there. So you still have a couple weeks open water, and then if you're getting excited, you can uh, get some of your gear ready and get prepared for ice fishing that'll be here, you know, before the end of the month. Uh, You're absolutely right. In fact, we're going to be starting to do our ice fishing series on a regular basis. We're kind of previewing it a little bit today. Before we move on, talk just a little bit more ice fishing, though. One presentation for the uh, just the casual angler that can really help them with these stock trout is that if you mentioned casting out with something like power bait and let it sit on the bottom, well, that'll attract fish um, whether they eat it or not. It'll bring them into the area. So if you have a double rod stamp or if you have fishing with a couple other people, if you have one presentation of that power bait out there, and then you throw artificials and move them around, it can really exponentially increase your catch. Yeah, I always like, if I've got a a two-rod stamp fishing from shore, I'm typically going to have, especially once I find the area I want to fish, two rods out, whether it's on the bottom, whether it's something below a float that I can just identify, you know, that won't get tangled in my other presentation, then I'm going to do something a little more active. And like you say, it can be days that you might have the two rods there ready to fish, but the action's so fast, you're never able to get that second one out there. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Let's talk about, I want to just touch on ice fishing. We're going to get a lot more in-depth as, as the, as then over the next two, three weeks. But where are a couple places you may look to go for early ice? And what are you doing to get ready? Are you getting ready yet? Are there things you need to do? How do you prepare? Yeah, you know, there's a couple things I think that everyone should be looking at getting ready for right now. First of all, if you have any sort of electronics, charge them up, make sure your battery's good. That's a That can be real frustrating if you take it out the first time and your battery only lasts you 10 minutes before it loses a charge. Second thing I would do is I would put fresh line on all my reels. You know, you, you haven't used them for probably six, eight months now. So strip off, 
and you don't need to strip off the whole reel, maybe the top third, because most of the time we aren't fishing real deep, and put some good ice fishing line, whether you prefer mono, fluoro, or braid. There's lines specifically designed to stay limp and not absorb as much water and be much more um, easier to work with when it comes to ice fishing in the cold weather conditions. So I would put some of that fresh line on. And then, as you've been saying, a lot of the retailers are starting to get their tackle in. So go through your tackle box. Make sure that you've got those favorite jigs or spoons that you always like to fish. And if you're low on them, stop by and pick a few up. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And what, what line do you prefer when you're ice fishing? You know, I'm I very – if I'm spooning inside a shelter for some bigger fish, I might use braid, but typically – I'm much more of a mono or fluoro guy, and I would say any more, I'm probably using fluoro more than anything because a lot of times I'm out fishing for panfish, and that's a real light bite. And the limited stretch of the fluoro can get that bite, and it also adds weight to those really small jigs, so you can get them back down a little bit quicker. But for the average angler, I would say look at starting with either mono or fluoro is going to be your best bet. Um, I usually use a lot lighter line than most people. I think that's one of the biggest problems people have. I'm going to go two to four pound test fishing around the front range most of the time. And then if I'm going up to the mountains, unless I'm going either chasing northern pike or chasing lake trout, I'm going to stay in kind of that four to six pound line. And then even going to lake trout, I'm only going up to about eight pound test line. I think too often you see people out there, fishing the weight line they think about during the summer, maybe eight or 10 pound test and trying to use that ice fishing. And that really dampens the action on your lure and you get a lot fewer bites using that heavier fishing line. All right. We're going to have to let you go, but I got one last tip. I hardly use live bait ice fishing anymore. I take a lot of the artificials. I use a lot of gulp and other artificials, Um, but I have one tip in case you're in a place where that doesn't, they don't hit the artificials. Fish with Brad Peterson because he always has live bait with him, and I can steal some. <laughs> uh, yeah, there have been a few times. I, I I typically don't use it a lot, but I've always got it with me just in case. Um, if I can get them going on artificials, I prefer that. But uh, I'm not going to go out there and miss a chance to catch a few fish because I didn't bring a little live bait with me. All right, Brad, if people want to book a guide trip or more information, how do they find you? You can find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or either give me a call or shoot me a text at 303-829-3998. All right, my friend, we'll be talking to you more over the next few weeks, I'm sure. Sounds great, Terry. Have a good day. You bet. Thanks, Brad. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to switch gears on you a little bit. We're going to talk about outdoor cooking, not only of wild game and fish, but getting ready for Thanksgiving. And then after that, Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us, and we're going to talk about some of his favorite presentations this time of the year. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN.
to get your toe tapping, won't it, on a Saturday morning here on ESPN? You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. You'll normally find us on the fan, 104.3 from 9 to 11, but we bop over here once in a while when there's a programming conflict, and we love our sister station, 1600 ESPN. We're brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And speaking of that, let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Jackson Fort Collins is Chris Adams. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing great, and we're going to talk. I know we're going to talk about cooking outdoors and wild game and turkey and getting ready for Thanksgiving and the different ways to cook and the grills you guys offer. But before we even start, when I was listening to Brad talk about the abundance of geese now that goose season is opening, I think there's probably a lot of people who go goose hunting and then don't understand how to cook their goose, I guess I should say, because a goose is a can be a gamey wild bird, but I'll bet you cooking one on a slow cooker or a or a smoking it would be phenomenal. Yeah, it really will be, Terry. Uh, what I would recommend on a, on a goose is go ahead and and <laughs> soak it in something like buttermilk or brine it to kind of get that gaminess out of it. Would be a really good thing to do, and then use whatever. Uh, outdoor spices you want from Traeger or any of the other companies we carry, and then cook it low and slow. I would say maybe 225, 250 for two or three hours to get it nice and moist and juicy. Yeah, it sounds delicious. I'm sure it is. And, of course, you could do a a version of that for ducks, too. And you are, um, you know, you're an outdoorsman. You used to be in the fishing department there. You're in optics and grilling right now. And I don't know if people understand, Jax, the amount of space and time you guys dedicate to outdoor cooking. Your grilling department at the Fort Collins store has almost doubled, I think, hasn't it? Yeah, Terry, over the last three years or so, Jax, uh, here in Fort Collins, has dedicated itself to carrying a lot more outdoor cooking supplies, game processing supplies, not only barbecuing, grilling, um, smoking, but also uh, frying, like frying turkeys or geese or uh, ducks, those sorts of things. In addition, we carry a, a good supply of the new uh, Gosney uh, rock box and dome uh, pizza ovens, which are basically an outdoor oven that will go up to 900 degrees. Now, what can I cook besides a pizza in that? Oh, um, well, you, you can crank it up to 900 degrees, Terry, and put a, a cast iron, small cast iron skillet from Lodge in there, which we also sell. Get it up to heat and throw in a two-inch filet mignon, and about two minutes later, pull it out, and it's crisp on the outside and cold in the middle. You can also do all kinds of different casseroles and dishes by just cranking the temperature down to 300, 325, those sorts of things. You can cook thicker pizzas at 450, or you can do the thin thin crust pizzas like we do at about 900 degrees, and it takes about 90 seconds to cook that. Yeah, isn't that amazing what those thin crust pizzas are like in a pizza oven? You just can't achieve that in a normal oven, can you? No, because you end up with a very crisp bottom crust, and that's part of that style of pizza from Italy. It's a very thin, very crisp crust with uh, a small amount of toppings. So it, it's really a phenomenal uh, product from uh, Britain that the uh, Gosney Company has brought into the United States. And uh, we're selling quite a few of those. 
Now, let's talk about some of the, I know we want to spend some time on the Traeger grills and cooking Thanksgiving on them, but before we even get to that, what other types of grills and accessories do you carry? Okay, uh, in addition to the Traeger, we have Weber grills, uh, the small portable ones we sell a lot, the kind that you can take out hunting or camping, throw in the car, throw in the truck, and you've got either propane grill or charcoal grill. We also have the larger Weber uh, grills in charcoal and also the stick burners, the large uh, vertical barrel type smokers from uh, Weber, in addition to the gas-fired ones. We also have uh, Kamado-style um, ceramic grills for cooking low and slow as well, plus we've got a complete supply of uh, frying and boiling pots and burners if you want to cook that way outdoors. And you carry just almost every grilling. I do a lot of grilling. I cook 80% of the dinners I cook are outside. Now, I do mine on a gas grill. But you guys have accessories no matter how you grill. You've got utensils. You've got spices. Just about something for everybody. Yeah, we sure do, Terry. And the thing about your your gas is you can put some big uh, soak some big chunks of smoking wood and throw it on the side right next to one of the burners, and you end up with smoke on your gas grill. So that's a wonderful tip to do that so you can turn your gas into uh, a barbecue with smoke. Uh, we carry a lot of accessories uh, for the barbecue people, from gloves to various tools and implements to a whole wide variety of sauces and rubs and spices, a uh, complete set of spices for making up your game jerky or your game sausages, as well as processing your meat. So we've got a wide variety of outdoor cooking things, which is, I grew up in South Louisiana, and so that's what we did too, Jerry. We cooked a lot outdoors of all the game and fish we caught and shot. Well, let's go to the Traeger Grills. I know that's your favorite, and you have an event coming up. And kind of what you wanted to talk about was cooking Thanksgiving on a pallet grill. Now tell us why we would want to do that. What are the advantages and what's it like doing that? All right, Terry. I grew up in the South cooking on pecan. We did pecan for turkey. Um, the advantage of the Traeger uh, is that it is totally adjustable in terms of temperature, cooking temperature, but also it comes with a probe, which will tell you exactly when your turkey is done so you can turn the Traeger down and just let it rest there for a while. In addition, we've got a big event coming up on the 12th. Uh, Traeger uh, Western Region Rep is going to be here from 11 to 3 with Traeger giveaways. Uh, a full, we've got a, a fully stocked supply of pellets, uh, grills, rubs, sauces, etc. And he and I will both be cooking up turkeys. He will do more of the traditional style, and I'm going to do it a little bit of South Louisiana style. You can do it low and slow if you want to at 200 degrees, or you can do more a barbecue temperature, which would be up about three and a quarter, and you end up with a little bit crispier skin on your turkey. But we'll also talk about the various seasonings and rubs that you can put on a turkey when you're smoking it to keep it nice and moist. Tell me about what are some of your favorite spices or rubs that you would put on a turkey? Ooh, we've got a wonderful... Uh, spice rub that's made specifically for us uh, from a company down in Denver, and it's called a chicken and turkey rub, and it has rosemary in it and a lot of spices and some citrus, and that's a wonderful complement on the outside of a turkey when you're smoking it. You get a really nice flavor. 
In addition, um, we've got just some st- more standard poultry kind of, of rubs, or we've got a variety of uh, different uh, specific spices and herbs that you can make your own rub as well. Now, could you use some of these rubs and spices even if you're cooking traditionally in your own oven? Absolutely, absolutely. That's the nice thing about spices and rubs and flavorings. They're not dedicated just to outdoors. You can do it indoors as well. So if you want to decide, well, this year I'm just going to cook indoors, you can use some of the same flavors and get some of the same smokiness while cooking it in your oven indoors. So uh, we've got that big event coming up on the 12th with giveaways from Traeger. In addition, we're running a special. Traeger, we've done really well with Traeger, and Traeger's giving us an opportunity to do a special now through the 10th, where if you come into any Jacks and you look at Traegers, you're going to find them with $100 off, $200 off, uh, up to $400 off on some, and $2 off on pellet rubs and spices, and that's through the 10th of this month at any Jacks Mercantile store. We cut that deal with Traeger because we sell so much Traeger stuff that they're going to allow us to do a, a, a pre-season, pre-season sale for just our customers. That sounds awesome. And then your, your event is on the 12th, then, at, right after that, and you're going to have the Traeger people there. Last question, then I'm going to let you go. You're cooking a turkey. Do you brine or do you not brine? I brine. You know, growing up and over the last, well, we'll just say going back to the near the middle of last century, uh, we did all sorts of things, injecting, et cetera, et cetera. And personally, I think brining, and I would tell people, make your own brine. We sell some, but I always add things to it. Whatever flavor you like, you brine it. The best way to do it, i found, is to put in like a 30-quart igloo ice chest or somebody's ice chest with the brine that's cooled down, cover it with ice, Close it and let it sit for up to 48 hours. You don't have to worry about refrigerating it or anything like that. And pull it out, dry it out, put your spices on it, and put it on your grill. All right, my friend. Uh, Chris, you are going to be in the Fort. You're in the Fort Collins store today if people want to stop by, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've kind of taken over the outdoor cooking area because I did that since I was a kid in South Louisiana. So uh, I'd be glad to share any recipes. I don't have secrets. I just have ideas to share. All right, my friend. You got my mouth watering. I might have to stop by and share, go over some of your secrets right here at the Fort Collins store. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. That's Chris Adams from the Fort Collins store. I'll tell you what, if you didn't get hungry listening to him talk about the way he prepares that food, Jack's has, all the Jack's stores have wonderful grilling departments, but I want to stop in and spend some time talking to Chris and take advantage of those sales. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us, and he's going to teach us how to make vertical presentations in the fall fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite contributors, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. Heck, it's it's almost afternoon. It's a little late show for you. Yeah, when we go over to ESPN, we run a little later, so I get to sleep in because usually the Friday before, then Karen makes me drink too much wine, so it's good. But, I can't believe that, <laughs> Terry. Yeah. Hey, seriously talking, though, we um, 
I started the show by saying we've been talking over the last month or two about what a slow transition to the traditional fall fishing it has been. And some of the techniques that, while you can use them year-round, really shine in the colder water, were just barely coming into play. I think that all changed, Ronnie. Yeah, things changed really fast over the last couple of weeks, Terry. And it's definitely that time of year right now for the next uh, month or so, or at least until ice up on some of these lakes, those vertical presentations are going to really shine this time of year, Terry. So uh, don't put the long rods away yet. and Don't winterize the boats. If you have them, get out on these bodies of water and take advantage of some of those vertical bites. And, you, and it, uh, you're probably going to tell us we could do some of it from shore too, which ends up, People go from shore, vertical, but you'll explain that. But right now, tell people what you mean by vertical presentations. Uh, basically, any of the lures that are designed to, to be worked vertically through the water columns. So things like, like jigging spoons, blade baits, darter-style baits, uh, lipless cranks, things like that that are, are really effective at, at falling through the water column. Uh, some of the times the action that those lures have are on the fall. So something like a jigging spoon is going to have a whole lot of flutter and spin to as it falls through the column. Uh, other presentations like a blade bait have a lot of action when you rip those baits vertically and they kind of fall a little bit more of a, of a quick fall with not a lot of action to them. And then the darter style baits are kind of a hybrid of the two. They have uh, a darting action on the way up and a gliding action on the way down. Uh, those are really the presentations that we're talking about right now, and they, they really shine when the water temperatures start to get cold like they have, and you kind of get that, that bait fish activity happening on these bodies of water. Some of the baits getting getting fed on and getting stunned as the birds are diving and as the fish are chasing them and pounding them. Uh, they start to fall through the water column, or maybe you've been on a lake and you've seen shad kind of swimming in little circles on the top of the water and flickering, that kind of a thing. And then also the colder water temperatures also stress these fish. So at times they just kind of get stressed out and some of them die off and fall through the water column as well. So that triggers that vertical strike a lot of times. And when you get on that sort of a thing, uh, it can be incredibly effective at putting a lot of numbers in the boat, Terry. Well, and you, you made a reference to the bait, and that's the number one key, I think, when you're doing this, is when you see bait gathering up, getting stunned, being very accessible. Um, what happens, though, there's so much of that bait, it's hard to use a feeding-type presentation like a soft plastic or uh, another bait because there's so much available to them. But these presentations also work in lakes where maybe there isn't as much bait, but you're still getting that reaction because these type of presentations are that reaction. They see it, they respond to it. And a lot of that's because they have to be opportunistic at this time of the year. It really is. They have a, when we say reaction style with these presentations, they, they have a real quick start and stop to them. And that's really the key right there. Uh, something like a spoon, it's going to flutter as it falls through the water column. And then when you come tight to it and rip it back again vertically, it, it instantly starts moving vertical again. And, and when you get to the top of the stroke and it loses its momentum, it stops right there and it starts to fall. A lot of times it is that really quick start and stop with these presentations that trigger the strikes. You know, with the modern day electronics that we have out there, it's really easy a lot of times to see these fish come in and and follow presentations, and fish will come in and look at your jigs. They'll look at your, your crankbaits. They'll look at your jerkbaits, and they may not strike them, 
Um, it may just be that you're not getting that crisp, erratic action that you're looking for to trigger the strike when the water's cold. So that's why these presentations shine a lot of times, too, Terry, is they're just really good at triggering that, that strike. Before we get a little more into the presentation part, what about rigging and equipment? Do I need special rods to do this? How should I rig my rod? What kind of line? You know, you, you don't necessarily need special, you know, rods and reels and that kind of stuff, but you definitely want to choose the right ones. You want to really pair the rod size, let's let's say power and action to the the size of the presentations you're going to be throwing to like the weight of the presentation. So, for example, if I'm using a darter style bait that's a half ounce or smaller, then I tend to have that on a medium power seven foot spinning rod. And I'm either going to be utilizing a, a braided main line on that, something in that 10 to 14 pound range, and adding a fluorocarbon leader, like a two-foot fluorocarbon leader, something in that 10 to 12 pound range in the fluorocarbon on the leader. And that's how I'm going to go about those lighter ones. Now, once I get into, you know, half ounce and above and all the way up to maybe an ounce or so on those presentations, then I, I definitely like to switch over and utilize casting gear for those presentations. And on those setups, I'm using a medium heavy power rod, something in that six, six to seven foot range as well. And I'm also going to be utilizing my fastest casting reels I have, the reels that eat up the most line, that have the most line recovery rate. Those are the reels I like to go with. And it tends to be because I'm making really long casts a lot of times with a heavy presentation, and I'm letting those presentations fall all the way through the water column. So I could be making a 75-yard cast with something like that and allowing it to fall 50 feet through the water column before I start working it back. That's a lot of line out there between me and that presentation, Terry. So I want a really, really fast reel so I can stay tight and come tight on those presentations and, and keep those fish from being able to shake their heads. Now, people are probably a little confused right now because we were talking about vertical and you're talking about longer casts. Now, a lot of times you do work these presentations right below the boat, right below you. But there's times, whether you're in a boat or onshore, when you do cast them out, but even when you cast them out, you're trying to work them vertically, aren't you? You are, Terry. You know, the, the standard lingo is kind of yo-yoing the presentation. And so um, when I say vertical, I'm talking about the lure itself. It's designed to kind of fall vertically through the water column and get ripped up vertically. Uh, that does not mean you can't make a long cast with it and try to impart that same action with it, Terry. So a lot of times, especially when we get you know to the shore time of the year, when the boat ramps are closed and we can't get out, I'm making really long casts from the bank with these same style of presentations, and I'm ripping them vertically with a high rod, getting them to snap up just a couple feet up off the bottom, and then allowing them to fall vertically through the water column back to the bottom. So it still has that same vertical approach to it, but I am making casts a lot of times with these presentations and covering water. So it can be a little confusing, but it works both ways. You can absolutely catch fish straight up and down from a boat. Uh, it's the same idea when you're standing on the ice, you know, in the middle of winter and we're fishing vertically through the ice. Same sort of presentations a lot of times when we're trying to trigger the reaction strikes with uh, spoons and blade baits and maybe uh, gulp minnows and things like that. And then from the shore and open water, Terry, yeah, we'll make casts a lot of times and we'll, we'll work those bait vertically, ripping, yo-yoing those presentations back to the bank. Now, we, we listed three or four different styles of lures we use when to do this. Is your cadence or your delivery of the way you 
present the Lord different with the different ones? And do you have one you choose over the others that you prefer? The pre- the, the, the the cadence and the rhythm and everything to it can slightly vary. And it may be the same on any given day for all three of those presentations. It may be a slight nuance change to them. So take a, a darter, for example. Um, more often than not, you're going to make that thing, you know, make a cast out there or drop it below the boat, let it get relatively close to the bottom or all the way down to the bottom, and then rip it anywhere from two to four feet up off the bottom. You may want to, at that point, let it fall on semi-slack lines so that it has kind of its ability to sort of glide and move around as it makes it back to the bottom. But I could tell you there's other times on when we're casting those presentations that maybe we want to tight line it on that fall a little bit so that those darter baits are have a little bit more tight line to them and they're kind of gliding off that way. Some days just that slight difference makes the difference in, in triggering those strikes. Uh, presentations like blade baits, there's not a lot of difference that you can do with a blade bait. It tends to be kind of a, a ripping vertical motion and, and then semi-slack line in order to allow that thing to fall. Um, blade baits, a lot of the blade baits have three positions on their backs in order where you can hook into them or tie onto them, that kind of a thing. Um, that will vary the action on that blade bait a little bit. If you tie on that front one, you can rip those baits a little bit more horizontally and you get more of a, a lipless crankbait style uh, presentation out of it as well. If you hit it, uh, if you use that back hole that they have on the, on those blade baits, then they, they tend to kind of plane off a little bit if you tight line them and let them fall. So there's some slight nuances like that spooning as well. You know, you can, you can let them fall sometimes on semi slack line and really allow them to kind of glide around and fall freely like that. Other times we're dead sticking spoons, uh, even from the boat and just allowing them to lay over. And some of the bites come as that spoon just is dead stick below the boat. It's kind of just down there spinning because the boat's moving around in the wind, that sort of a thing. So there's some fine nuances to them. And it just kind of on any given day, Terry, we, we just kind of work through them and, and try to figure out what's going to trigger the strikes. All right. Last, last topic. Broncos have a bye tomorrow. A lot of people would love to get in another day on the water. Horse tooth or Boyd? Well, I would say horse tooth. Um, that's kind of that's actually where I'm going tomorrow morning. Hopefully, Terry, if the wind's not blowing too hard in the morning, we're going to get up and go to horse tooth. Uh, the fishing should be very good at horse tooth tomorrow. Uh, the trout that are in the lake are pretty active right now, so a person could go up there and just kind of kind of troll around and also cast some smaller presentations around, and you're going to get into those trout most likely. Uh, the smallmouth are definitely going to be located near the bait fish, and I'm going to be looking for any kind of structure that's down in the water, be it a point, a hump, a dam, something like that. I'm going to be fishing those transition areas, and I'm going to be looking for smelt or shad to be in those areas as well. Um, the fishing right now on horseshoe for the next few weeks can be lights out, Terry. It can be some of the best fishing of the year. Some of the biggest fish of the year can show up. So it's an excellent opportunity to get out there. And it tends to be that there's not a lot of ski boats or wakeboarders or jet skis or anything like that up on that body of water. So it's it's just a really great time of year to get out on horse, dude. And uh, the white bass still going on Boyd. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, they get a little bit harder as the water temperatures start to fall into the low 50s, Terry. But I think we're probably got another week or so of the white bass action being pretty good at Boyd, kind of a no-brainer. Water temperatures are going to be warming into those mid-50s on the sunny days, and they're definitely going to be pushing shad around. It tends to be that as the water temperature gets colder, you're not going to see as much surface action, so you won't see the fish up boiling or anything like that. But you'll still see shad getting pushed into particular areas. You'll see birds looking for them. Focus on those areas and fish those vertical presentations. You should have no problem getting the white bass to bite for the next couple of weeks. And most of both these lakes, I believe, the boat ramps are open until the end of the month. Is that right? Yeah, they're going to be. They're scheduled to be open until the end of the month. Uh, weather can affect that. Sometimes we get snow and they'll shut it down. Um, that sort of a thing. Sometimes they'll shut it down for a few days until they can get the, the ramps plowed, especially up at Horsetooth. Uh, they have to plow that parking lot as well as the ramps, that kind of a thing. So, um, But barring a hard freeze that puts rim ice on any of those lakes, they'll be open until the end of the month. All right, my friend. Great information as always. Good luck tomorrow. And uh, maybe we can get out yet ourselves one more trip before the year is over. All right. Let's shoot for it, Terry. Have a good one, buddy. All right, Ronnie. Thank you. Ronnie Castiglione, always a great <clears throat> source of information. By the way, if you go to our YouTube channel, um, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we don't have too much on using uh, the darter-style baits. But in those same presentations, we do have several really good videos on using jigging spoons, which would apply to the same areas. We have them on McConaughey. We have them on Pueblo. Uh, and, and a couple other pre, uh, areas, too, where we use the jigging spoons. And you can really get a feel for how that works and the type of present, presentation and what we look for and how we use our electronics. So you may want to go to the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom and just look for some of those. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. Wickstrom Outdoors on 1500 ESPN. If you like what you heard on the show today, a couple ways you can listen to us. We're normally on the fan from 9 to 11 on Saturday mornings every week. Occasionally we get bumped over here to ESPN, and then we're on 10 to noon. Uh, it will depend on programming. If you want to know if we're getting bumped or we're going to be on the fan, just follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and we'll post information about that. Uh, and also on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, we're going to put up uh, links to podcasts from today's show in case you missed something. In fact, you can go back months, even years, and listen to our podcasts, um, our segments, or by the hour. And then we also put up live reports if we get out into the field during the week. And we'll put links to videos. Uh, like I mentioned, we've got videos on the jigging spoons on our Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom <clears throat> uh, YouTube channel. Uh, every time Karen adds a video to that to that site, she puts a link up on our um, on our our our, our, our um, Facebook page, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We talked some ice fishing today. Didn't get into a lot of details and techniques, or even bodies of water well a few people are hiking up to some high mountain lakes and already ice fishing 
it'll really kick in where we're going to have the fishing opportunities in about two to four weeks. So over the next month or so, we're going to do what we call our Masters of Ice Fishing series on the show. And we'll be featuring, featuring people like Bro Brosdahl, Steve Panaz, Dave Gentz, some other national manufacturers reps. These are some of the most noted ice fishermen in the country. They'll keep us up to speed on what the new technologies are, what the new trends are. Are they really adapting to them? Or are they still using a lot of older techniques and some of it is just a fad or is it really, really applicable? So we're going to do a lot of that. We'll also have our local anglers. We have some incredibly accomplished ice anglers here in Colorado. And Nate Zielinski, Austin Parr, Ronnie Castelloni, who you just heard, um, Brad Peterson, and others. We'll get reports from lakes and others in different bodies of water. Uh, the guys up at Granby with Fishing with Bernie, the guys at Blue Mesa with GSO. We will get reports from all of them over the next six weeks or so and really give you where the opportunities are, where the ice looks viable, what the fishing is like, how they're approaching it. So we'll do a lot with ice fishing. Now, we won't abandon other things. There's still hunting going on. There's always some open water fishing, whether it's fly fishing tailwaters or down on Pueblo Reservoir in a boat or from shore. So we'll keep you appraised with that stuff too. But we're going to do a lot of ice fishing. And then as we move into December, we're also going to be talking about Christmas presents, We'll help you pick out some Christmas presents. In fact, the stuff they talked about at Jack's with their grilling department and that special uh, Traeger event they have going on at uh, Jack's stores, that might give you some early Christmas sh shopping opportunities right now. But we'll talk specifically Christmas gifts for outdoor people, and we'll get some of our sponsors on. We'll get other ideas from just people in the field, what they're seeing out there, what are the newest things that your outdoor enthusiasts might like is a Christmas gift. So we'll we'll cover a lot of that. And then also as we get into December, we'll only be a month away from the International Sportsman's Exposition, which will be at the Denver Convention Center in January. It's back in January again. You know, we did one uh earlier this year actually in the fall, in the spring, where it usually is uh early in the year. COVID kind of moved things around, but it's gonna be fun to get back where we belong, get the turnout, get the people there. And we'll be featuring guests from uh, that we're going to be highlighting at the Fishing Theater and other people from the International Sportsman's Exposition into December into early January, giving you an, a, a preview of who's going to be there and what they're going to uh, what they're going to be talking about at the show. So we're excited. We've got a lot coming up here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Like I said, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and you'll learn a lot about what's coming up, and we'll even update you on what we have covered. And, you know, I always like to give a little plug for our music. Remember, Wickstrom and Dobrith have four songs out on streaming right now, a new release coming out here with this just in a matter of a short period of time. So we love it if you search Wickstrom and Dobrith on streaming services or social media and give us a listen. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on ESPN. <laughs> 